that's what I'm trying to teach students how to do is just listen to everything. That's pretty great advice. Uh, yeah. Actually, I mean, yeah. just listen to everything. It's true. And it resonates with them because they know what this is and what there's something deeper to this thing that is happening automatically. Exactly. What What's deeper about it? Every time they walk in, we listen to something. And what I say is, and I make more observations than anything, where I say, if you're talking, you can't be listening, really listening. And whoever can hear you can't really listen. So we really can't make any sound when we're listening. Just listen to everything. Good advice. If you didn't catch episode four, that's where that clip came from. And that was John Churchville discussing his philosophy about how best to teach his students. In this episode, episode five, John and I will discuss further ramifications of Soundtrap, but also a broader discussion pertaining to rhythm and the context thereof. We got into a little bit more philosophical discussion about music and the benefits of music, and also some of the therapeutic effects. He also spoke about his band, the Karma Quartet, and the idea of bringing them into school to have them interface with the students to be a part of the music education process. Let's listen in. Here's a little example about how I'm leveraging everything that I can to get these students to listen. I applied for and got a grant to bring my musical group. They're coming next week, doing a workshop with the third graders in the morning, and then doing a concert in the afternoon for the whole school. So I'm taking that, and I introduce myself to my students as a music teacher who's also a musician. I perform and I play and I record and I produce and I've produced albums and I play them the stuff that I've worked on. Sometimes I play them that stuff and I'll tell them that I worked on it afterwards, you know, and I really introduce them to all of the professional work that I do separately. It's not anything to do with ego. It has to do with the fact that they're seeing that they get to be inside. They get to be inside of what really happens this is the real deal we're actually cooking the food here you know you're yeah. in the kitchen well, you're 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 pulling back the curtain and saying take a look kids yeah right that's really what yeah and so i get to leverage that not just with uh the students but also with my bandmates so my bandmates are going to see how i work with the students so i i told them uh uh I'm teaching the third graders right now how to play a song called Lucky 13. It's in 13 beats on a ukulele. And it's got the chords on the ukulele that are kind of difficult for them to play. But because my band is coming and they'll get a chance to play with my band if they learn this song, third graders are like eager to learn a song in 13-8 and, and, uh, and play all these weird chords because they want a chance to play with the band. So I'm leveraging that. And then the band is just like, what? They're learning Lucky 13. That took us a couple years to get down, you know? And and it's like, yeah, but if they're introduced to it as no big thing, then their no big thing starts at a really, it's not necessarily a higher level. It's just a way different perspective. Like if they can understand how to count one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And to them, that's no big deal. This is just how we do that. They might later in life say, you know, I really like the one, two, three, four, because that's not a lot easier. But, you know, the five is cool. I like seven. But they're going to have opinions on odd time signatures 
you know, on all the and different. And that matters. And it matters it so totally much. It totally matters. I mean, I didn't get, in, in our music education system in the West, there's a huge gray mush when it comes to rhythm. When it comes to rhythm and feeling a beat and whatnot, I always say like any group of people doesn't have to be musicians, doesn't have any group of people in America that gather could probably sing about 20 songs together. If you really all, you know, you start like, okay, happy birthday. Okay, we know that. All right, A, B, C, D, you know that one? Yeah. So we could all just like all these songs and melodies that we all know. Uh, Now let's name all the rhythms we know. In terms of like, can we all understand or talk about it? You know, maybe one, maybe one that jumps out uh, would be waltz time. If you say waltz time, yeah, I mean, but what's the rhythm? You're talking about waltz like that. That's in three. And if you said that, the group would have to confer and agree it's three. You know what I yes, mean? Like, I what do. do you mean by waltz time? They would get a little nervous that we don't quite know. Not the same as like if you're singing ABC or Twinkle Twinkle or Happy Birthday, where everyone can just chime in. It's not a... It's understood. It's intrinsic. Right. Yeah. I was in India. I was there by myself uh, at the invitation of my teacher, Summer Saha, to come to a Tabla Mega Festival, is what he said. He is said, that the gentleman yeah. that we recorded at Stamps? Right. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he invited me to Calcutta, Kolkata. He invited me to Kolkata for uh, a 10-day Tabla Mega Festival where big hub for music. And he's, Pandit Summer Saha is like the top echelons of the Indian classical music rhythm keepers. He He's right up there with the biggest names in Indian classical music. And he's traveled all over the world and played with, you know, if you know Indian musicians, he's probably accompanied them. So anyway, he invited me to come to a show. This is a long story to get to something that has nothing to do with the actual festival. But uh, so so I was there, and every day I was going to the shows in the evening, and then during the day I would sit with the tabla maker and watch him make tablas. I would uh, wander around a little bit. And so I was wandering around one day. It was Goal Park, is called, in Kolkata. And I was just walking around the park, and... It was uh, during school, but this group of kids came up and they were, you know, must have been 10 to 14 or something. And just a crowd of them kind of crowded around me and and started giving me a little hard time or something. Just kind of, hey, what are you doing here? You know, being a big, tall white guy at Gold Park at that time was a little I was stood out. I I just stood out, I guess. And uh, so they were surrounded me and they were like, what do you do? What are you doing here? And I was like, oh, I'm here for a music festival. It's like, oh, are you a musician? It's like, I am. I'm not playing, but I'm here for the festival. And they're what do you play? It's like drums. It's like, oh, sing us something. And I was like, oh, I, I knew exactly what they meant because I studied Indian tabla drumming. And they all went, oh, you're a drummer. <laughs> I mean, I hear the rhythm, but the melody, the, the melodic component of it is is absolutely right there with it. So can you imagine I'm wandering around, you know, Central Park, in New York, and a bunch of kids come around, and they're like, oh, you're a drummer. What's the next question? But it's the kind of thing that it's hard to even describe because I'm describing something that doesn't exist. 
like this understanding or this cultural affinity for rhythm in a, a way to speak about it in a way to experience it and you can talk about a marching band and people especially in this town will understand what you're talking about and and whatnot in the drum line you know mm-hmm. what the drum line of does course. and you know those traditions and things and people know kind of what a, a jazz drummer plays and what that sounds like and people know what a heavy metal drummer does and they know what these people do but we don't talk about the rhythms that they're using keharawa in india oh keharawa that rhythm you talk about the rhythm as if yes this song is in keharawa i love that rhythm and that by the way is the most popular rhythm on the planet in any culture. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, bunk, bunk. Uh, whether it's, you know, I mean, anywhere, go to any culture in the rhythm and there's some music that has that rhythm in it. it it's very, uh, in pop music, of course, Ed Sheeran. You know, an Ed Sheeran tune or a, 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 a Camille Cabello or there's all these uh, people who use this rhythm. Bo Diddley, just like you can find a pentatonic scale mm-hmm. in every culture, in that that one in the five relationship, ba 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 ba, the bum bum bum, that whole one five one relationship is in every culture, everywhere. I really gravitated towards those ideas when I was studying at Cal Arts. The kind of mission statement of Cal Arts is to create global musicianship. So you, you understand what it means to be a musician in the world, not just a musician in a jazz band or a musician here or there, you know, any definition of a musician, but what it means to understand music. Like we, you know, people love to say it's the universal language, but what does that actually mean? Like what part of it is universal? Hmm. I loved diving into those kind of ideas and so the the one where you have the tonic and the dominant the one in the five and in india is the sa and the pa like the vadi and the samvadi the there's so many names for the one boom 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 there's the away from the home and at home you know and these two concepts are in every musical culture the, the and it's a simple one but it's there everywhere. So if you can make music with those two chords first, you're set up as a global musician, right? If you can use some of the most popular rhythms. Today I made a song with two chords. I use a looper. We were doing that today. And it's like I'll always go to the two, with the one and the five, and then I'll make up a song. You know, today somebody was getting their ukulele out of the rack and went like this and hit somebody in the eye. And I, and I just made up a song It's like... Keep the ukuleles out your eyes and focus on your fingers. Good. And just a two chord little vamp. And then I, I harmonized right. it. But it's just like having those musical ideas that are just foundational to every music on the planet. Work songs, songs that you do to foster working, like with a group of people. Your goal was work songs. So getting work done. This is done everywhere in the world, all over the planet. And so if you focus on what is happening in the music to make it happen, then you're starting to get the concept. And students can explore that concept in whatever way is relevant to them or safe. Music, that's, again, the benefits of why what we get to do with this medium. It's very easy to take somebody down something very terrible or harsh or 
uh, and I remember when I was 17 years old, I got my first job teaching drum set at the Melody Shop and School of Music in Marquette, Michigan, owned by a CalArts alum, which is why I ended up going to CalArts, because this CalArts alum moved to Marquette and started this music store and a recording studio in it. I, I got to record the demo for CalArts on an ADAT 8-track he had three ADAT. of them. He had three ADAT, so we had uh, eight times three tracks yeah. to use. And, 24. Yeah. And um, when I was teaching there, one of my first students that came uh, wanted to learn Marilyn Manson. And at the time, Marilyn Manson, to me, was this evil thing that was in the news that you don't listen to it or else it'll it'll like do something to your brain and it was even in i think like the legislature like it was in congress they were talking about it at hearings about marilyn manson music and you know i wasn't avoiding it or i wasn't afraid of it or anything but i just never like approached it or had an experience with it i didn't go to the cd store and buy the cd um and and so this kid brings a cd in and i put it in and it was a shuffle beat i'm like wait this is a blues tune the beautiful people the beautiful people and i was like oh well this is a blue shuffle and i was like this is not evil that's good to know you know like it's it's a beat it's a beat that's used in music all over the world and by the way here's the beat used in three different other types of music and yeah you want to learn to play this cool you know we're not and suddenly it just like for me as a 17 year old dispelled like oh music is is not this evil thing you know like what are they what are they actually doing it really nice for me to have that awakening early and music was what made me realize it and honestly i have hardly ever listened to lyrics when i listen to music anymore interesting i i i could not pick up on my wife will tell me, like, <laughs> I got a CD in the mail that I recorded on. I recorded with this great producer, Glenn Brown. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, and uh, went to his studio. It was great. He uh, brought my son. He had his Grammy up on, the like, the wall. So so Charlie got to hold the Grammy, and it was it was amazing. And I had this whole nice experience with him. And, um, and then I got the CD in the mail from the lady whose album it was. Her name was Lynn Zwicky. And um, I'm listening to it, and I listened, went right to the track where I played. You know, I played on this track, and I was like, oh, listen to that. And, and my wife is just like, gosh, this is so sad. What do you mean? And I was listening, and I was like, it seemed really nice and soothing. And I listened to the words, and I'm like, oh. She's like, it's all going to end. Or it's like it was very, very dark. And I didn't hear a word of it. I listened to it maybe four times before I, my wife heard it. And I didn't hear a word of those lyrics. Like it's a, is literally a problem I have. Yeah. You know, I, I, I check lyrics for school safety purposes. I don't look up lyrics. Uh, I not, that's not to say that there's some songs that have, I understand that feeling that people get sentimental. There's some songs that really, hit home to me because of what's being said, Sure, you know, of course, but you put on an album for me to listen to, and you can almost guarantee I am listening to the mix, the sounds, the rhythms, the way it's all put together. And sure. the lyrics themselves are just sounds. They're, they're the part they're of another, the sounds. Yeah. They're another yeah. part. It's, I really have to unfocus on that and focus on the lyrics. It's funny though, because you can, you can find examples where, 
someone will go against type. You know, someone will write uh, an ostensibly very cheery piece, and then you look at the lyrics and think, this is really sick. This is really broken. This is really depressing, and vice versa. Yeah. It's and a classic example. The first time I heard a song by the Boomtown Rats, Don't Like Mondays. And unfortunately, it's it's an epidemic in this country, but it ha- it was written about, in, I think it was Australia. Huh. And a worker went in and shot it all up. Uh. And when the police arrived and they were taking her away, they asked her, why? What? Why would you do such a thing? And she said, I don't like Mondays. It was a big hit. But, you know, when you're hearing it, you're hearing the, the main riff and you're thinking, oh, no one likes Mondays, right? But the fact of the matter is it was very dark. It is very dark. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. But, you know, and there are there are all kinds of uh, songs out there that are written like that. And And there's plenty of orchestration in this. There's cello. Kind of almost like classic Paul Buckmaster, Elton John era orchestration going on in the background to yeah. kind of pad and lift the tune. And and it, again, it sounds like someone who just doesn't like Mondays, but it's 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 a horrible story. I love uh, movies. I was raised on them like I was raised on music. And even if I watch a film where I think, oh, that really bothers me. I can have that kind of reaction to anything like, I feel so much better having seen this film. Either way, it's successful from the director point of view because it made me feel something. Like I, the movie uh, Seven, I've seen it once. Hmm. I can't watch it again. Yeah. Art is effective when it causes you to emote. I do appreciate what it takes to craft something like that. And I could say the same thing of some pretty dark pieces of music for the, for the same reason. I'm not necessarily going to dine at that table on a regular basis, but I understand why that dish was made the way it was. Yeah. The, the stuff you're doing now, you're working with people who are formulating those sensibilities. Right. The fact that you are working with these minds and to then teach them that, it's all there for the taking. It's if, if you like writing Croatian-style folk music, you can learn and do that if that's what you want to do. You want to be like someone from The Wrecking Crew or someone from Motown, right? These cats and kittens who could just play what's put in front of them. And yeah, they just yeah. they nail it. That's such a high level of musical facility, in my opinion. So I just I just think that the more that kids can realize that if you really are talented, motivated, you really have a whole lot of roads that are open to you. And by learning the rudiments, when your mind is at its most flexible, because it's much easier now than it is when you're 50 years old. Well, that's the trick. Which rudiments are the ones that are important? You know, what are the rudimentary exercises in music in particular that are important? That's that's like... uh, If somebody's going to be in a large ensemble and they're going to, you know, have to follow a conductor, there's a whole other set of things that you need to do compared to if somebody's going to be a a turntable scratch artist or if they're going to be a a producer or um, a singer-songwriter. You know, these rudimentary sets of things to practice 
fundamentally changes depending on what you're going to do. So this is why I love actually and why I feel at home in the elementary teaching because I feel like there's a rudiment that's below all of that. Like the like I was saying before, the global musicianship idea where you are taking the most fundamental things and doing a hundred things with them. And whatever your rudimentary uh, uh, skill building is, you're building that using these things that are used in every kind of music. I love that idea. And, and students, if you give them freedom to tell you what they like and what they want to hear and what they, what they do like and what they don't like, if you give them that freedom to start to explore what they actually like, you know, like you start to realize that you have a sampling of everyone in America in us in any given school, you know, like it's terms of what they like. I mean, <clears throat> I ask students nowadays, especially after the pandemic where everyone got online, mm-hmm. literally, uh, I've asked students what they enjoy. And it's, I mean, I could, the list is endless from one student who is really all about uh, reggaeton music and soca music. And then one who is really into uh, a German video game music written by Germans. And these are third graders I'm talking about. And then it's like a whole group of students separate from each other, but a whole bunch of them like K-pop, very into K-pop and other kinds of pop music and the whole Latin American crew who really love the pop music from I mean what do all of these have in common that's what I need to be teaching and showing and it has creative people at the center of it that's what they all have is people creating this music so that you know what it is and then those those rhythmic concepts those ideas that are there and then if you develop somebody's desire uh develop somebody's ability it what John Dewey called it was giving them the ownership of the impulse to create hmm. the the ownership of the impulse is the key so that and it's also a difficult concept to understand personally speaking like to understand how to teach somebody to take ownership of the impulse to create it's not a small task <laughs> yeah. or not easy to get your mind around and depending right. on who it is and what situation they're in a student who's in crisis is is feels like they have no control and they have nothing and so how do i let them know that no you do have control in this half hour with me you have that control but it's it's that idea that that what are these foundational fundamental things that i can help show you through music that will get you to the next thing and i mean i've over the years i've done this enough now that i've seen the the students who want to read music my daughter's one of them she's like really it loves doing music in that format where somebody puts a sheet of music in front of her and she can play, even though she grew up as my daughter. So we did a lot of improvising and a lot of making stuff up and trying to get her to create. She was never really so much about writing her own music or anything like that, but she loves playing music. And when she hears something she loves, she loves doing it really well. And she's really good at it. And she loves the idea of what are we going to do next? Just keep feeding me. That kind of musician is wonderful to have around, you know. So she's developing that way. I have other musicians who are making just anger music, I call it, <laughs> where it's just noise and they're just like trying to get aggression out and calling it chaos. By the way, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but just in my past teaching, I've had 
two students who have named music that they've created chaos, chaotic. Like they said, this is chaos. This is chaotic. Like what, that's what they wanted to call it. Later, they changed their identities in life. Interesting. Like when they were in, uh, like they were, I gave them the facility, the ability to create music. And what they created was this sense of chaos. And then it's like they straightened it out later in life. And like reflecting back, I'm like, wow, that is really fascinating when you see. Because they were effectively living it at the time. Right. And you, and, and, you know, who was it? Maya Angelou that said, when, when somebody's telling you who they are, you should listen. You know, and I have all of this, like, is this student, I have these questions all the time. Did they just find this loop? Did they just find this thing that they really like? And they're really, is, are they telling me who they are or are they, did they just happen upon it? I'm constantly thinking like this, you know. During our talk, the conversation took a turn toward the therapeutic benefits of music. And in this next segment, using music as essentially a therapy tool, but also the things for which he must be prepared, things that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Let's listen in. When I do brainstorms for writing music with students, I get a lot of information. Like, how do you feel about graduating fifth grade? You know, a question like that will elicit a lot of responses from amazing and excited to depressed and sad and and then it's like, oh, why do you feel sad? And it's like, oh. And then they look off and just tell you a story about their life right now. And they just get into it. And, and it's like this powerful tool that we have. What are those rudiments that you're showing them? You're giving them the power to express what they feel. And I tell them, you can write a music or song about being sad that's powerful and positive. That is there to help you or to help somebody else or to tell you what you think you want to hear, you can do all that. You can use that, you know, in this lowest space in your life, you can use that. And so it's always about, that's the guidance part of it, where you're like, I can't be afraid of somebody telling me they're suicidal. That students say that before, and they want to write a song because their therapist have said, you know, this is what I need to do to get my mind out of where it's at. And it's like, okay, let's get to work. You can't be afraid when those things come up because this is, you know, I mean, I'm now maybe I'm speaking to myself, you know, don't be afraid, <sighs> breathe, you know, right. like it's going to be okay. Well, it's daunting. You know? It's a large, it's a, it's a tremendous responsibility that suddenly talking about transitioning from something that's positive and upbeat to something that you really have to be able to, as you say, take a deep breath and, and say to yourself, Okay, I can manage this. I if can... we're if we're going to do it, if yeah. we're going to go for it, we have we can do this. Like we can do it in a productive, positive manner. That's why we're here. We're here to like take this hard thing that's happening, this struggle, this immensely dark thing, or whatever it is, and just take it and make this is what I think about this, or this is why this, this is what happens when I take this and I use it, you know? And I mean, I've had students who have, are fighting a battle with cancer. I've had students who lost their ability to read or function with the left side of their body because they got in an accident. You know, I have students on the spectrum who just can't handle ah, anything, and they want to do something with me. Something about music calms them down, 
makes them at peace, gives them, you know, hope, whatever it might be. And, uh, and so, yeah, they, they may struggle to learn how to make it. They may struggle. Like I may spend four lessons with a student and they'll figure out how to make one beat or they'll get through whatever they want. But it's that, that four lessons of time focusing on something other than this thing that's bringing them down. They're focusing on how do I make this work? And we really get in there and then they make a beat and they're like, Oh my gosh, there's so much more to go. Like, yes, this is the point. We got to keep working and keep going. And, and then it's, and, um, yeah, I have a student now who she released an album. She was, um, adopted. She has an album on, Spotify and like I helped her produce it and release it her songs are like you got to keep trying she wrote a song about finding her birth mother they ended up not finding her wow she wrote music about that you know I will try to find you is one of her tunes she wrote she has just been growing and growing and growing through this process but it's very slow we'll have to take something maybe 50 to 60 times till she sings it right and then we got it in tune and we can use it. As we keep chipping away at it, she's learning what she, where she has to go and what she has to do and how hard she has to try. And once she knows how hard it is, now she's ready to for that work and she doesn't complain about it. And so it's like she has worked her way out of her sadness and depression. She worked her way through her bad decisions, through the things that made her feel bad, through... You know, all of this, we just had a breakthrough moment in a song. I mean, I may get emotional because this was just like two weeks ago where we'd been working on this song that she had written about a girl in high school. And this girl, she really liked her and she was popular, but she was mean and she was mean and she made her feel bad. And and there was all these things that really affected her. And she wrote this whole song about how this girl was mean. And last week we end, added this inspirational if we found a loop we found a piano loop that's just like this triumphant inspirational like big chords and and then it's like uh she's saying it's time to move on it's time that i move on and that refrain just goes over and we harmonize every time it's time time. and it's just it's time that i move on and i was like doesn't this feel like you are doing something right now and and she's just you know it's real for somebody's life like that is maybe the one thing that she has that is hers that she is like really doing well at and progressing at in her gradation of doing well and progressing. And we're about to ramp up for her second album release, you know? And it's like, that is what it's all about. You know, when you were talking about like uh, having to be prepared to deal with someone who's perhaps got some suicidal ideation. In crisis, yeah. Yeah. In crisis. oftentimes someone who's truly uh, suicidal the act of actually committing suicide is the one thing over which they have absolute control. Mm. And so you made the point about, okay, in this classroom for this half hour, you have the agency to do this, right? And they don't necessarily know how to vocalize that. And now there's this space 
where they can say, where, where someone is providing the guidance, you are essentially saying to someone who's in that spot, which is a very bad and desperate spot, okay, so why don't you write about this? It's got to be as valuable as regular counseling, someone who's trying to get that person to a point where maybe they're getting past that suicidal ideation, but because of a bit of self-actualization in a safe space, that might be enough to push that person away from that ideation. To me, this feels like there's something right here that can help you and can help you also feel better about your situation and who you are and get you away from the very, very dark nudge you away, even if it's only a little bit at a time, a little bit at the time. And there's maybe a process of catharsis where they're composing the song and recording it, scoring, whatever it is that they, they, however it is they envision it. But the point is, it now becomes something practical and tangible as opposed to this kind of overwhelming despair that's just encompassing their every thought. You're giving them a way out of the tunnel, basically. I mean, that's the hope. You can... Yes, it can't happen every time, but the point is, as a minimum, what what if the child didn't have that as a potential path? I mean, that's why I feel not that any more important if somebody's going through crisis or not, but just that they're in front of you. I mean, this is a perspective I got you know, at private schools too, where there's a lot of families who are very well off and the kids aren't wanting for anything. It's just, they have everything they could possibly need, but still something, they don't have their thing, whatever it is that's theirs, you know, that from the opposite of crisis, sheltered to the ones who are in crisis, the one common thing is that they want to be heard and they want to express what it is they feel. You know? But that's identity, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and that that is it. And and that's why, I mean, I feel so lucky to be doing what I'm doing in the space that I'm in, in the place on the planet, and, you know, with all of these. I mean, it just so happened I applied to six different jobs at Ann Arbor Public Schools, and just nothing came up. The one that came up is the first time that this position is a full-time position in the same school, whereas the teachers before had to travel between different schools. And then it's the school that's directly across the street from my house, <laughs> like hundred steps away. It's just right there. You know, I he can hear the bells from my basement. I can hear the school bells from my studio. And uh, it's like going through a transformation where, well, it went through a transformation because of the pandemic and the whole school district got sound trapped. So they got this thing where I met the guys when it was a five-person team, and now the whole district, they got acquired by Spotify. You know, they're, they, like, have all of this. And, and by the way, they're one of the very few companies that got acquired by Spotify that Spotify said, keep being you. They gave them their own business area in their big, you know, number two World Trade wow. Center building. And, like, this is your Soundtrap thing to keep being Soundtrap. And uh, so one of the very few companies that Spotify purchased that didn't just absorb into Spotify, you know, like whatever it was. And and so just unbelievable that these things that all culminated and happened have come together in this position that I'm in now. And it's like I get to do this work. I, I feel 
that, that I get to do this work. One of the, one of the first things you ever said to me when we met, mm. it was like the second time, I think it was the second concert where I, you know, knew who you were and, and stuff, but you know, as a music teacher and as a parent, you see each other at the concerts and that's kind of maybe in the morning or something, you know, you don't sure. really see each other yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, how's it going, Mark? And you said, uh, oh, living the dream. <laughs> and I just remember that I've, I've always, nobody's ever replied to me like that before. <laughs> I mean, and, and you, you have a, a way of doing it, which I totally appreciate that. I can't tell if you're joking or if you're not. <laughs> and I uh, prefer to assume you're not. <laughs> So I, that's how I live my life. <laughs> that's great. And I thought about that. Uh, I thought about that, like just little interaction. You know, I think about it at times like now where I'm living and I'm doing exactly what I should be doing in the place where I should be doing it with the tools that I need in the way that I should be doing it. Like all of it's happening in, in such a wonderful way, way right now that I feel like I'm living the dream. It's it's just so great to be in that space. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a cosmic convergence, if you will. It's you know. And are and you joking right now? I'm not joking. That's the our name of our album. Is that right? Yeah, the Karma Quartet, <laughs> our new album that just released. Seriously, that's the title of it. Okay. All right. Well, that's there. You go. <laughs> <laughs> There's your proof. I didn't know. Thanks again for listening in. As always, it's been a pleasure for me to bring you something that I hope was both entertaining and perhaps even a bit educational. It's time now to pull the faders down and say goodbye from the subterranean playground. Until next time, peace. Tales from the Subterranean Playground is brought to you and produced by Immersify Recording Services, LLC.